want to remind you that today is Gene Snavely's memorial service. That'll be at 2 o'clock right here in the auditorium. I want to thank those who've provided desserts for today, and that you can take those over to the cafeteria uh, after the service if you haven't dropped those off already. But uh, that service, again, will be at 2 o'clock, and then there'll be a fellowship time with the families afterwards. Also, uh, this week, um, Larry Snyder Sr. went home to be with the Lord and uh, asked you to be praying for their family, and uh, just wanted to uh, let you know that. Last night, I received an email from the Beabouts, and I wanted to share that this morning and pray, have a special time of prayer. Perry and Jody were on their way to Guam in two weeks, March 31st. They bought their tickets and were planning to go. Uh, this week, uh, their son-in-law, uh, Tyler, uh, Kelsey is their daughter, Tyler is their son-in-law, was diagnosed with a rare, very rare form of cancer, very, very serious. And uh, so they're working with the doctors right now and uh, um, trying to figure out what the treatments are going to be. Also, the same day that they got that news, Jody had an appointment uh, to see a specialist about some problems that she was having, and uh, two days later, they sent her for an MRI, and they found out that she has a spinal problem uh, that probably is going to have to have surgery very quickly. If not, there could be some very serious and significant disabilities down the road. And uh, so, for right now... um, the, uh, from the email he sent me, it said that they have decided to put off them going back to Guam until all of these uh, physical things can be worked through. So, uh, But um, he, he wrote that last night, asked us if uh, I could share that this morning, and that we as a church would pray for them. So we'll put that out in an email this week. It'll be in our Wednesday prayer bulletin, but I wanted to make us aware of that this morning. So um, let's just stop right now and let's pray for uh, the be-abouts. Father, certainly, Lord, our hearts are heavy when we hear this news, but we know that, uh, Lord, there is a purpose and a reason for everything. Lord, and this has been a very difficult week for Perry and Jody, and Lord, I pray great grace for them. I pray that they would really sense the moving of your Holy Spirit in their life. Father, I pray this morning, uh, especially, Father, for Tyler, Uh, Lord, as he goes through this at 26 years old, how difficult this must be. And Lord, I pray for wisdom for the doctors that are working with him. And Lord, help them to be able to make wise decisions when it comes to how to treat this very rare form of cancer. And then, Lord, we pray especially for uh, Jody this morning. We, we pray for wisdom also for the specialist that she'll be seeing this week about the possibility of back surgery and to operate on her spine. And, Lord, that this doctor would have the wisdom to know what to do and be able to uh, do the surgery that would take care of this, And uh, Lord, so that she would not have problems down the road. And so, Lord, we pray for the beabouts. May they really sense your presence, Father, in this time. We pray for the Snyder family, that you might minister great grace and encouragement to them, as well as to uh, Glenn and Joel and Sue and their spouses, Father. As they come today and go through the service, I pray that the, the service would be an encouragement to them. And And Lord, I know their prayer is if there be some today that don't know Christ as their Savior, that today they might respond. We thank you for those three that responded on Tuesday at uh, Brother Parrott's funeral to accept Christ as their Savior. 
And so, Lord, we just ask that same thing again today as the gospel goes forth. Father, now as we open the word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through the passage uh, that we look at this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, open your Bibles back to the uh, book of Mark, if you would. We have been working our way through uh, a little bit of Mark in this Easter season. We looked at the uh, Passover supper. We looked in the garden. And today we look at the courtroom. And today we're going to see uh, seven trials in a matter of eight hours. This portion of Scripture that we're going to be looking at found here in John chapter 15 really encompasses about eight hours of time from about midnight to eight o'clock in the morning. And uh, it was just about midnight when uh, the Roman uh, officers came along with Pilate and uh, along with Judas and when Judas kissed Jesus and then they took Jesus and uh, they took him to the first trial. And we're going to be seeing that in just a few moments. But let's go ahead and take God's word this morning and let's read it. Again, we're in John chapter 14 and I'm going to start in verse 53. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. It says, And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is, this men te- what, what is it that this me- these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the chief? Uh, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy, and the guard received him with blows. Now, Jesus had been taken from the garden, and he was brought to the house of Annas. And Mark does not record that first trial. It happened, again, right after midnight. Uh, Annas was, um, had, had been a high priest earlier. In fact, he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who you're going to meet in just a moment. But they took him to his house first, and for some reason, he stood before him not very long. And uh, it doesn't record it here. Mark doesn't record it. John records it. But then he sends him to the high priest into the Sanhedrin. And that's where we pick up the story here in verse 53. And it says, they led Jesus to the high priest. And when we're talking about the high priest, they knew that Jesus was being arrested. And so they had gathered here in the middle of the night the Sanhedrin. 
the Sanhedrin. Let's talk a few minutes this morning about what is the Sanhedrin. Every town in the Holy Land, every Jewish town there had a Sanhedrin. Usually it consisted of the high priest of that town and 22 other men. And what they did was they sat as the court system in each town. Court cases were brought to them. It was a religious system, and decisions were made by those 23 men. That's why there always had to be an odd number so that one person could break. Now, here in Jerusalem is the what we might call the high Sanhedrin. There were 70 men who sat in the Sanhedrin of Jerusalem. There were 24 chief priests, 24 elders, 23 scribes, and the high priest. That made 71, that odd number that was needed. So when Jesus is brought here to Caiaphas, who was the high priest at this time, he's brought before what we might call the Supreme Court of Israel. The Supreme Court of Israel. And uh, so they're ready. So they were a powerful people. Now let me talk to you a little bit about the procedure of the Sanhedrin. As I said before, people were brought before him, before the Sanhedrin, and cases were heard. There were three things that were very important to the Sanhedrin that was written down that they were supposed to hold up in every case that was brought before them. Those three things are simply this. Number one, there needed to be a public trial. It needed to be public. I mean, there, it needed to be public. It needed to be where everybody could hear it. Now, let me remind you, when is this trial taking place right now? Yeah, in the middle of the night. So how many public people are going to be there? We're going to find out in a minute. Hardly any public people are there except the Sanhedrin themselves are there. So that was the first thing that they went against. The second thing was this, there needed to be self-defense. There needed to be somebody who would stand up for the one who was being accused in a sense as his public defender. There was no one there for Jesus. So again, that went against this. Number three, they need to be convicted by two or three witnesses. We're going to see how there were really no witnesses that could be brought to Jesus. Now there will be witnesses, but the witnesses even themselves could not agree at this trial. And so as we look at this text, we're going to see this trial being played out. So you'll notice here, it says in verse 55, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. That word seeking in the original means looking hard for. It means going out. Remember, again, this is right after midnight, probably about one in the morning when this now second trial is taking place. And so literally when it says seeking is the people, those who were serving the Sanhedrin, they would have servants that were there. They were sending people out, knocking on doors in the middle of the night saying, listen, Jesus is on trial. Can you come? Can you give witness against him? And that's what's going on. They're out seeking. And then in verse 56, it says, For many bore bore witness against him, and their testimony, what? Did not agree. They they couldn't get. they, They went out in the middle of the night, sought out these witnesses that had been probably talking to them already, got them out of bed, drug them down to the court, and began to uh, share, these witnesses began to share, but no witnesses matched. Nothing that they shared matched. It was contradictory. It was false testimony that did not agree. 
So look at the, this next. It says, when we heard him saying, here's what one of the witnesses says, I'll destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I'll build another, not made with hands. And so they said, well, listen, we heard Jesus say, I'm sure we heard Jesus say that I'm going to destroy the temple, and then I'm, in three days I'm going to build it up again. Now, Jesus was talking about what? He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself being buried and raising again on the third day. But these witnesses are saying, no, he's going to destroy our temple right here in Jerusalem. And then he's going to raise it up in three days. There's no way, unless he's some type of supernatural person, that he could do that. And so the testimony here is false. The the Caiaphas, the high priest now is getting very agitated. So he does something that was really totally out of line for him because he's like the judge in this proceeding. He now becomes like the prosecuting attorney because he's not getting what he wants from the witnesses. Look in verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? He says, don't you have anything to say for yourself, Jesus? So again, he's, he's become like the prosecutor instead of the judge. Totally, he, he's acting in the wrong way here for his position. He says, but he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? So I asked him this question, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed that everybody says you are? And listen to Jesus' answer. And Jesus said, I am And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now that statement is important to understand because when he says, I am the Son of Man, that's the same word as I am the Messiah. So right here, Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah for the people. So the second thing that he says here when he talks about in the right hand of power, that word power there, it's the same thing. That's, it's God. He says, I'm God. I'm God's son. And I have this power that's been given to me by God, my father. And so right away, they feel that this is what? Blasphemy. This is blasphemy. Listen to what Spurgeon says about this. It says, it was a tacit confession that Christ had been proved innocent up till then. The high priest would not have needed to draw something out of the accused one if there had been sufficient material against him elsewhere. The trial has been dead, a dead failure up to this point, and he knew it and was red with rage. Now he attempts to bully the prisoner that he may extract some declaration from him which may save further trouble of witnesses and end the matter. Spurgeon is saying, listen, he was totally out of line at rage and took over this proceeding. Look what he does. And the high priest tore his garment and said, what further witness do we need? You've heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And so we see here that After he, in a sense, badgered Jesus, Jesus made this statement of who he was. Yes, I am the Son of Man, the Messiah, and I do have the power of God within me. Um, Caiaphas became melodramatic, and that's what he did. 
He became melodramatic and he tore his clothes. Now, he didn't, tore his cl- he didn't tear his clothes uh, because he was upset over sin or because of anything like that that high priest would do sometimes. I really believe that he tore his clothes just in a melodramatic way for those who were watching what was going on. And so the Sanhedrin condemns Jesus. He, they say he deserves death. They begin to spit on him. They begin to slap him and say, who slapped you, Jesus? Go ahead and prophesy. And so all this is taking place. You know, when we think of the Sanhedrin, remember the Sanhedrin were supposed to be the religious leaders who were leading Israel, the religious leaders. But I want to tell you this morning, religion does not make you righteous. It just makes you religious. Religion doesn't make you righteous, it just makes you religious. And that was the problem here. They were simply religious, they weren't righteous. And so what did they do? They condemned Jesus. You know, like the Sanhedrin, we all face the same question. What will you do with Jesus? We all face that question. We all face it all the time. How are we going to treat him? Are we going to treat him like the religious rulers did? Or are we going to let him rule and reign in our life? Go on in the story, and as we come to verse 66, we flash to Peter. Now, let me tell you, I think sometimes Peter gets a raw deal. Sometimes we say, wow, Peter denied the Lord, and certainly he did, and we're going to read that. But I want to tell you this, where were the 10 other disciples? They had long gone, what? They had long gone, left the garden But Peter followed close to Jesus. Maybe we shouldn't be as hard on Peter as we are sometimes because he stayed. He stayed there as close as he could to his Savior. But let's read here what happens. It says, as Peter was was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say by the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystander again said to Peter, Certainly you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to, be, uh, to, be, to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. I do not know this man who you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, and he broke down and wept. So, Jesus had predicted, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, as they left the garden, or last week, as they left the garden, and they were making their, or left the upper room and making their way to the garden, Jesus had this conversation with uh, his disciples and talked about them denying him and told Peter, you will deny me. And Peter said, I won't deny you, Lord. And Jesus said, you will. And Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail him. We reminded you not that he wouldn't be tempted, but that his faith would not fail him. And so certainly here's the account of what Jesus had predicted. Three things there. The first accusation came from a servant girl who recognized him. And she said, you were with Jesus. Peter, 
and says, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. And, 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 and he got mad, and he left the courtyard and, I believe, went closer to the gate. He went closer to the gate there, and it was darker there and uh, away from the fire where people wouldn't recognize him. And so as he's standing there, and he's watching what's going on, this is over probably about a three-hour period of time. This just didn't happen like blank, bam, bam. This is probably a three-hour period of time that this takes place. The second person uh, makes this accusation. It's another servant girl, and, uh, but she doesn't question him directly like the first servant girl does. She just makes this statement to everybody standing around, and she says, listen, um, this man is one of them. This man is one of them. I'm sure. Maybe she's saying, I'm sure I've seen him with Jesus. And again, he denies it. I don't know that man. And he says it with an oath, Matthew 26 tells us. And then the third time, the third accusation, uh, again, was not made directly to him, but was made by bystanders standing around. And uh, several people began to say, not just one person, but several people began to say at this time, hey, listen, I think this man was with Jesus. I believe he was with Jesus. I've seen him with Jesus. And what does Peter do? He denies it again. Peter denies it one more time. John MacArthur says at this point, Peter hit rock bottom, still refusing either to claim or to rely on Jesus. He dug himself still deeper into the denial as he began to curse and swear. I don't know that man. It's a very strong term that involves pronouncing death upon oneself at the hand of God if one were lying. And perhaps the most serious taking of the Lord's name in vain that is conceivable. Peter said, in essence, may God kill and damn me if I am not speaking the truth. And then once again, the cock crows. Now let me just stop and give you a parenthesis here. Because um, maybe, and we could debate this a little bit, and, but I want to throw something out to you about the cock crowing. Okay? Immediately we think that's a what? A rooster. A rooster. I had a professor in college named Dr. Ed Heinzen. He's still on television. Uh, I see him on television occasionally and uh, does a lot of prophecy conference and things. And I can still remember Ed Heinzen sharing two other possibilities for the cock crowing. Two other possibilities. One, certainly it was a rooster. And uh, the first time would have been about 2 in the morning when it crowed. The second time probably would have been closer to 4.30. And uh, what he says, there's two possibilities. One is that of the changing of the Roman guards, uh, the word cock itself in, in the original language can mean man. And so there was a man sounding an alarm for the changing of the guards, and those would have coincided with that. The second um, thought that Ed Heinzen had was this. Since it had been a man, uh, also something that would happen was when the temple closed, the temple finally closed very early in the morning. The priest who was taking care of opening and closing the temple, very, when the temple closed and all the things were done, was somewhere between one and two, the man would make a cry. He would make this loud cry. And again, remember, they are in the courtyard of the temple. And then in the morning, what would happen between 4 and 5, that's at that time of the year, that's when the sun would be rising. That's exactly about the time that the temple would open. 
And so this person who was on duty would only have a few hours sleep. He would come back, and again, he would yell out. He would give this tremendous cry out that it's time for the temple to open. It's time for us to sacrifice for the Lord. It's time for us to serve the Lord. And it's time for us to worship the Lord. And the temple is open once again for the day. So... He believed, Ed Heinzen believed, that when the cock crowed, it was the temple uh, guard. Because at that moment, it's interesting, at that exact moment, when Peter denied, the Lord Jesus turned around and looked at Peter. At that same moment, it seems like the cock crowed, which could have been the opening of the temple. And for Peter to see the Lord looking at him, and at the very same time, to hear that the temple was open, it was now open for sacrifice, it was open for service, it was open for worship, and those were the very things that he was struggling with at that moment. So it's just an interesting correlation that Dr. Heinzen had made, and I've always thought about that when I come back to this text and I look at this. Two disciples had failed miserably that evening, hadn't they? Judas and Peter. And all of them really had failed. But unlike Judas, Peter returned to the Lord in faith. Judas experienced great regret and a kind of remorse, but no really change of heart or repentance. Peter's faith had slipped and weakened, but it was genuine faith where... Judas's wasn't genuine faith. It's not enough just to be conscious of our sin. We must see Christ's face. See, it's just not enough to be aware of our sin because if we're aware of our sin and we don't deal with it, it drives us deeper, sometimes into sin and sometimes even deeper into depression because of our sin and hopelessness. But what was it? See, the gospel, the gospel is just not turning from sin, but it's focusing on the one who died for our sin. That's what it was about. And that's what Peter, he put his attention back on the gospel. At the very end of Peter's life, he says this in 2 Peter chapter 3. You therefore, brothers, take heed, you are not, but take heed so you are not carried away with the error and lose your stability. I think he was thinking back to that, that time of that error that he made and, and, and how he slipped. And he's warning others, don't do that. Don't slip. Don't fall. But grow in grace. So as we continue in our text into chapter 15, Jesus has been through uh, before Annas. He's been through Caiaphas. And now he's going to go before Pilate. But before he goes before Pilate, he is going to be sent back before the Sanhedrin. Because when was the first time he went before the Sanhedrin? What time was that? Remember, around 1 o'clock. Okay? So he went from Annas. He then went to the Sanhedrin, which was at 1 o'clock. They were not supposed to hold court that time of night. And so what did they do? When, sun, when the sun came up, the Sanhedrin brought him back before them once again so they could have, quote, a legal trial in the daytime. And so this time was somewhere at dawn around 4 a.m., just coming up. 
this is probably, again, uh, this is really probably uh, the time when, when Peter, that third time when Peter denied the Lord when he's before the Sanhedrin this second time. This, this meeting was very brief. This trial was very brief. Remember the, the Sanhedrin already said, Caiaphas had already said he is guilty. Um, so that next trial is very short. And look there in verse 15. And as soon as, the mor- as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and with the whole council. So there it is in that one verse. There's the third trial. Annas, the Sanhedrin the first time at one in the morning, the ha- Sanhedrin the second time about four in the morning just as the sun is coming up. They've already decided Jesus is what? He's guilty. So now let's do something else. Let's, let's try to get the Roman government here who, who can sanction a crucifixion. Let's try to get them to find him guilty also. So now we find him before Pilate. Before Pilate. And so look here. Uh, as we continue there, it says, And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. So the Pilate... So they take Jesus, they bind, bound him, they take him to Pilate's house, the governor. He's the governor here representing Rome and Jerusalem. And uh, they bring him and they say, these are the charges. He's a blasphemer, Pilate. And you know what? The Roman government ought to do something about it. They ought to take him and they ought to do something about his blasphemy against us. And so they're getting pretty upset here. And, uh, of course, the Roman government, as Pilate, he's really interested in keeping a very low profile. He wants to make sure that there's no riots in the city because if that that gets back to Rome, he's going to be in big trouble and he could lose his governorship. So Pilate asked him, you know, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you said so. John 18 says, uh, also adds this. Are you saying this, or did others tell you this? So Jesus says to Pilate, Hey, Pilate, are you saying this, or did the Sanhedrin tell you this? That's basically what's going on here. So Jesus, Jesus questions Pilate. Pilate comes back and says, I'm not a Jew. Your own people have come up with these charges. Don't blame me. It's your people, Jesus, who are blaming you for this. Jesus says this, My kingdom is not of this world. It is where my servants would be fighting, but my, if it were, my servants would be fighting, but my kingdom is not of this realm. Not of this realm, he says. Now, if we continue in the text here, it goes right into a second time before Pilate, but I have to tell you, that Mark doesn't cover what happens next. Again, you have to take all four Gospels to see what goes on next. Because, again, let me remind you, took Jesus from the garden uh, and took him before Annas, the high priest, and then they uh, took him before Caiaphas in the Sanhedrin, 
And then uh, early in the morning, uh, they have them before the Sanhedrin again. And then they bring him before Pilate, which is recorded right here. But Pilate hears, hey, I've heard Herod's in town. Now, again, remember, this is the Passover season. Herod is the king of Galilee. Where's Jesus from? He's from Galilee. So Pilate's thinking, you know what? I don't want to have to be the one who says that Jesus is guilty. I don't want to do this. So his own king supposedly is in town. So I'll send him over to stand before Herod. And so somewhere around 6 to 6.30 in the morning, Pilate ships him off in the city over to um, Herod's place. Herod is in town to celebrate the Passover. Um, And so in Luke 23, it it says this, when Pilate heard of of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see of him see him a long season because he had heard many things of him and he hoped to have seen some miracles done by him then he questioned with him in many words but he answered him nothing and the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him and Herod with his men of war sent sent him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate so the interesting thing Who's following the Sanhedrin? So they had been there with Pilate. They were yelling in the background. Now they're here with Herod. They're yelling in the background while Herod is trying to question Jesus. They're yelling, he's guilty. He's a blasphemer. We need to get rid of him. We need to crucify him. And finally, Herod comes up with the same thing that Pilate had. He's, He's not guilty of anything. I don't don't know what to do with him, so I'm going to send him back to Pilate. And so for the seventh trial, for the seventh time, Jesus again is tried now before Pilate. This is about 7 o'clock in the morning. About 7 o'clock in the morning. We pick up the text in in verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they had asked, and among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And so at this time of the year, the Roman governor, Pilate, as a goodwill to the Jewish people, would release one prisoner that they wanted released. And so Pilate thought, well, you know, it's that time of the year. We want to show them goodwill. I want to keep good control of the city of Jerusalem. I don't want any riots on my watch. So, you know, he's doing this as a goodwill to the people of Jerusalem, to the Jewish people. So in a sense, so the Roman government and the Jews would have this good relationship. And so he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to release a prisoner. You know, we've got this guy, Barabbas. We've had him locked up. He's murdered. He's a thief. He is, you know, he's been in prison. And do you want me to release Barabbas or do you want me to release Jesus? Pilate says to the crowd. What does the crowd yell? You tell me. Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Man, for Pilate, this was horrible. He, I, I'm sure in his mind, he was thinking, what am I going to do now? And about the same time, a messenger come with a message from his wife saying, don't do anything to this man, Jesus. I had a dream last night, and the dream was not good. And so please, 
don't do anything to hurt him. But he decides he has to listen to the crowd because I think by this time, this crowd is pretty riotous. And so what do you want me to do with Jesus, he asked. He said, and what do they say? It says down there, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released him, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Right about 8 o'clock in the morning, turned him over to be crucified. And at 9 o'clock, that one hour is when all that will take place that we'll pick up next week. So from midnight to 8 o'clock were the seven trials of our Lord. Was he guilty of anything? Of nothing. Nothing. The charges were all trumped, if you would. The testimony of the witnesses was all wrong. Each person, each person that he went before, whether it was Pilate or whether it was Herod, those of the Roman government who were set there, they found him innocent. But it was his own people, the Jewish people, who said, kill him. Kill him. Crucify him. Why the change from Sunday to Friday morning? What happened when Jesus came walking or riding into the city and the people placing their palms before him and waving their palms and, crowd, and, and, and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, it's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. What happened from Sunday to Friday that would cause this whole change? I believe probably a lot of the same crowd was there. Now had the news had spread quickly throughout Jerusalem, and they were there that morning. At 7 in the morning, it spread quickly what was going on. And there, that probably a lot of those same people who were there on Sunday, if you would, were there on Friday. Why the change? Let me give you just a few thoughts of why the change. First of all, I believe because Jesus failed to stand against Caesar. See, earlier that week, on Tuesday, what did he tell the Jewish people? He told them, pay your taxes. Pay your taxes to Caesar. See, the Jewish people, they were looking for a Messiah who would come and overthrow the Roman government. And here Jesus, who they thought was going to do that, what's he saying? Pay your taxes to the Roman government. That didn't sit real well with the Jewish people. And then when he said the temple will be destroyed in three days, and, and then uh, the temple's going to be destroyed, and in three days it's, it's going to rise up. I'm going to rise it up again. Again, we were talking about destroying what's precious to us. And, and it was a misunderstanding. But still to them, he's going to destroy the temple. He told the Pharisees, you don't know Scripture or you don't even know the power of God. Now, these were the religious people. And that's what he had told them earlier in the week. That didn't sit real well with them either. He claimed to be the Son of God. See, it's not what they signed up for. And from what they understood changed very quickly. And so their whole outlook against Jesus changed. 
in a matter of days. You know, Bob Giles in his blog said this, not, not about these people, but about us as Christians sometimes. Sometimes we're looking for the politician Jesus, or we're looking for the vending machine Jesus, or we're looking for the motivational speaker Jesus, or the feel-good Jesus. And so when Jesus doesn't do what we want him to, what do we do? Sometimes we'll even turn against him. Sometimes we'll say, that's it, Lord. You didn't do what I thought you said you were going to do, so I'm not going to serve you anymore. Maybe it's because of a health situation. Maybe it's because something goes bad in your family. Maybe it's because something doesn't turn out like you think it should. And immediately, you're going to say, you know what? I'm just going to go my own way, and I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm going to turn away from Jesus because he didn't do what I thought he should do. And I think that was a lot of problem, that same problem with the crowd that had gathered that morning in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Sometimes, even in our Christian lives, I think we live Hosanna on Sunday and we worship and we praise him and sometimes the rest of the week we're living like the crowd who yelled, crucify him, crucify him. You know, this morning we've not really talked a whole lot about the gospel the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But you know, if you slipped into our service today and you're not sure that you're going to heaven, you're not 100% sure if you died today that you're going to heaven, then today could be the most important day of your life. See, Jesus loved you so much that he didn't want to be separated from you for eternity. So he provided a way for you to be able to go to heaven, and he made it so simple. He came, and he lived, and then he died on the cross. And when he died on that cross that we're going to see next week, he bore every sin that you would commit, past, present, and future. He took them on himself. He was buried And as we'll see next week, he rose from the grave victorious over sin and death. So all we had to do was come and admit that we're sinners. Admit that we're a sinner. And all we had to do is believe that Jesus died for us, putting our faith and trust in him that he died for our sin and believing that he rose again the third day. Today, if you're here, And you'd say, Dick, I'm not sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven. I'm not 100% sure. Well, then let me encourage you right now. Maybe you could pray something like this. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's the belief. But you could pray and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I believe you were burying your rose again for me, and right now I'm putting my faith and trust in you and in you alone to take me to heaven. If you've prayed that this morning, it's the most important prayer that you ever prayed. And if, that, if you prayed it in faith and in trust in what Jesus did, just like that, you're on your way to heaven.
I'm going to pray for you as we close. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Dick, I prayed that prayer this morning. I prayed that prayer. I know I'm going to heaven. Would you just, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just slip up your hand, slip it back down? I'll not call you by name. I probably don't know your name, but I want to pray for you as we close. Anyone while we wait, just a moment. I'm, I prayed that prayer this morning. Now I know for sure I'm going to heaven. Christian, can I ask you this morning, do you find yourself sometimes like the crowd who is giving hosannas on Sunday, and then things don't go your way and immediately you can be complaining and griping and even sometimes turning against Jesus. You say, pray for me, Pastor, or sometimes I can do that. Sometimes I can do that in my Christian walk. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up? Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Father, sometimes in living the Christian life, Lord, it it is easy for things not to go the way that we want. And Lord, we gripe, we complain, we turn against you, just like the crowd did that we saw this morning as we went through the text. And Father, I pray that you would help us to realize that even in those difficult times, that you don't leave us or forsake us, you are still there with Peter. Lord, you were still even there with that crowd, and Lord, uh, you allowed those things to happen in your purpose. And so, Father, help us to realize that the gospel, Lord, we need that on a daily basis. We always need to come back to realize, Father, that you love us and you care for us, and you're working a perfect plan in all of our lives. Even through the difficult times that we go through, you love us. Father, help us today to be faithful, to serve you. Lord, as we've walked through the trial, the thing that stands out is here you are perfect, holy, and innocent. And yet, Lord, you were willing to go all through this for us so you could end up on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. And uh, think about this week as we draw near to Easter. Think about this text. Go back and read it again. Especially will be a great exercise to do on uh, Thursday night, maybe even with your family, to read through the story of Mark that we've just read. And remember, you know, between that hour of 12 and 7 in the morning is, uh, or 8 in the morning when all those things took place, all those things that we read to you today and preached about today. We have a wonderful Savior, don't we?